Welcome to the South Coast Christian Podcast. I'm Pastor Tom Westerfield. On behalf of myself and our entire staff, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope this message uplifts and encourages you this week. We're entering into our 11th uh, session in our series on the book of Acts, and uh, we titled our our series uh, Acts. I know, it's really original, but that's what we did. But uh, the whole idea, the theme of it is basically that we're serving Christ together. And that's what the church is all about. When I, when I started this series, I really felt like we were just coming out of the whole COVID uh, scenario. I know we're still kind of walking through that, but we were coming out of that, and I just was really felt in my spirit, there's no greater book in the Bible than to learn how to be the church, in, except for the book of Acts. I mean, the book of Acts is all about the church. and So that's what I wanted to dive into. And, and really the mission that Jesus gave us is to go make disciples of all nations, uh, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we are called to go make a difference. Uh, we're called to be a mission field where we're actually reaching people with the love of Jesus. Um, as we begin today, because we've had some new people joining us over the last 11 weeks, and I just felt like we needed to take a recap of what we've looked at so far in the book of Acts, and I want to do that with you today. Um, the book of Acts, uh, we'll just take a couple minutes here, and then we'll dive into chapter 11. So if you want to get a head start, turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 11. We'll be diving into that section today. But the book of Acts was written by a man named Luke who was a follower of Christ and he was also a doctor. And he was really, I don't know if he was given the assignment, but he took on the assignment of writing this book to explain what was taking place uh, in this movement called The Way. And so he wrote it to a man named Theophilus and we We believe that Theophilus was a man of prominence. We don't know if he's a government official. But he was someone that was concerned or interested in what's taking place. I keep on hearing about this this thing that's happening, and it's called the way. And the way was the followers of Christ. And they got that name because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so all of a sudden, this group of people who had been radically changed by the power of Christ... Are, are following the way, who Jesus is, and they're making a difference and they're spreading the love of Jesus to everyone they see, and it's turning the world upside down. Luke explains in the book how Jesus, he explains to Theophilus how Jesus was crucified, buried, and then he rose again by the power of God. How Jesus promised his followers the gift of the Holy Spirit to comfort them and lead them and empower them for the journey ahead. It's a reminder for us as believers, we have the gift of the Spirit of God with us. When we come to salvation, we can ask, Lord, give us the power of your Spirit, and His Spirit can help us in our daily journey in life. Amen? Amen. Luke takes us through a series of different adventures. He talks about the day of Pentecost in Acts chapters 2, and all of a sudden, that Jesus had promised that the believers that, hey, go and wait in Jerusalem because I'm going to send a gift to you. And, and on one day where all of a sudden the outpouring of the Holy Spirit came and uh, upon the, the believers there in the upper room and they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. On that same day, Peter preached his first message that we have recorded in, in, in the Word of God. And 3,000 people came to know Christ on that day. How miracles were taking place through the apostles. People were being healed at the hands of the apostles through the power of the Spirit. Blind men were seen. Dead people were being raised from the dead. I mean, the way was the happening place. There was nothing that was, I mean, everybody knew that there was something taking place in the way. 
Luke explains how the apostles and the followers of Jesus had to flee from Jerusalem because the religious leaders in, in, the church, in, the, in, in Rome did not like Jesus, especially the religious leaders. And they were kind of turning the, the heads of Rome. And they did not like Jesus and what was taking place. And so all of a sudden now persecution is coming upon this group called the Way. And so they had to disperse. They, they scatter. But in the midst of scattering, they never stopped sharing about Jesus. So they're going from region to region to different locations and they're still sharing about the love of God. Luke has introduced us to some very powerful people in this whole, in the book of Acts. He introduced us to Stephen, who was the first martyr. He was the one that gave up his life for the cause of Christ. We, t- we heard about Philip, who was an evangelist. And he was led by the Spirit to go into Samaria, the region of Samaria, and to start to preach the gospel. He even impacted one of the Roman officials who was an Ethiopian eunuch. He, he actually uh, got him saved and baptized him in water. It was a supernatural experience that, that uh, Luke gives us about Philip. He talks about how Saul, the greatest persecutor of the church, all of a sudden became the mighty voice for the cause of Christ. How God used Peter to convert an entire household of Cornelius, who was a Roman centurion. And all, all, all of a sudden, Peter receives this vision, and he goes into the house of Cornelius. And as he's sharing, uh, as he's sharing the gospel, they're filled with the Spirit of God. Whole, the, whole, the whole regime, the, the whole fam- all the family of Cornelius were baptized that day. God had supernaturally led Peter to a revelation that salvation was not just for the Jews, but salvation was for all people. And that brings us, kind of that was a really quick recap, that brings us to Acts chapter 11. And this is a little bit of a different chapter that I want to share with you today because I think there's some things that stand out here that can be life-changing for each and every one of us. The news of the Gentiles, the news of the Gentiles receiving the word of God has now reached Jerusalem. So what took place with Peter when he went to the home of Cornelius and all of a sudden they, the, 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 the word of God was spread, it had come back to Jerusalem. And I don't know if you guys have ever, have you ever shared something out there and you told someone one thing and by the time you get it all the way back and you hear it again, it's completely different? It's all wrong? I kind of think this might be what took place. They're hearing something in Jerusalem that, you, did you hear that, that Peter actually went into the home of a Gentile? Did you hear, not only did he go into the home, he actually ate with them. So when he comes into, when when Peter arrives in Jerusalem, some of his friends, some of the other fellow believers are actually criticizing him. Because all of a sudden they discover that he's been in the, the, the home of a Gentile eating. How could you do this? And then all of a sudden Peter gives this discourse. And this is what we see in the first part of chapter 11. He just basically shares the testimony that we've already went through. He says, you know what? Some amazing things happened, guys. You don't understand the whole, the whole story. You see, I had a vision one, one day where all of a sudden a sheep from the sky came down and it was filled with all kinds of animals, clean and unclean animals, according to Jewish customs. And then God spoke to me, kill and eat. And I said, no, 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 God, I will never do that. He said, who are you to call something unclean that I've made clean? Peter said, I had a revelation. And he said, you guys don't understand when I was just speaking the gospel, when I was sharing to the Gentiles in their home about the love of Jesus Christ, all of a sudden as I'm sharing, the Holy Spirit comes down. Just like it happened to us on the day of Pentecost, now it's happening to the Gentiles. And just with that word, all of a sudden, they changed their whole perspective. 
And they started praising God because they recognized that God was doing a new thing and God was embracing the non-Jewish people into the family of God. This brings us to the second half of Acts chapter 11. And Luke has given us some insight in a new perspective on the church of Antioch. And this is where we're going to land today. And I just kind of wanted to do a real, real quick recap and a highlight of first chapter 11, first part of 11. But now we're going to land in our text today is Acts chapter 11, verses 19 through 26. And I want to read uh, the account uh, today for ourselves here. Starting in verse 19. Meanwhile, the believers who had been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch of Syria. They preached, catch this, they preached the word of God, but only to Jews. However, some, believer, some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene began preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus. The power of the Lord was with them, and a large number of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. When the church at Jerusalem heard what had happened, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. So basically, they're hearing this news again. Something's taking place. They go, hey, Barnabas, we need you to go to Antioch. See what's happening over there in Antioch. So they send Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of God's blessing, he was filled with joy. And he encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, and strong in faith, and many people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went, to, went on to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. Both of them, Saul, uh, Saul and Barnabas, stayed there with the church for a full year, teaching large crowds of people. It was at Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word today, and I pray today that, God, your word will come to light to us, uh, that we will have understanding, and that by the power of your spirit, Lord God, uh, your word will impact our lives and continue to change us, Lord God, uh, into your image, into who you want us to be. I ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. So I want you to get a picture of what's happening that's taken place in Antioch. And Antioch was a pretty good-sized city, it sounds like. It might have actually been uh, one of the, kind of like the capital, one of parts of the capitals there in the, in the Roman Empire. And so I think that's probably why uh, Saul and, 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 and uh, Barnabas stayed there a little longer to share the good news. And a lot of times I've heard messages on Barnabas about this whole, this whole uh, thing that's taken place. But I really want to focus for a minute, instead of so much on Saul and Barnabas, which are amazing in the story... I want to focus on what's actually happening in the spirit in the church of Antioch. Because something amazing is taking place. Something is changing. People are getting saved. People, when it says that when, when, when Saul saw it, he saw the evidence of what was taking place. You see, the power of Jesus was changing people's lives. Sin was being diminished and holiness was being embraced. We see that racism is being brought down because the Jewish people are now sharing the gospel to the Gentiles. It's seeing hatred turn into love. It's seeing forgiveness put into action. We even see where, where the, the church is growing, both Jews and Gentiles together. It's happening. Then in verse 26, we see something that takes place for the very first time in Scripture. The followers of the way, this thing that we've called the movement the way, all of a sudden are, being now, are now being referred to as Christians. In Antioch. 
Now, let's, it's important that we rec- recognize one thing. Uh, this reference of Christian was probably not meant as a compliment. It was probably an insult. Um, it was a Gentile term used to describe the followers of the way. It's not dis- too dissimilar to what we might see in our culture today. Maybe you've been, you know, in your workplace or at your school, you've heard someone say, oh yeah, that person's a Christian. Have you ever, you know, have you ever been called out? Oh yeah, they're a Christian. Like you walk up with a group of friends. Oh yeah, have you met Tom? He, by the way, he's a Christian. It's like shooting a, a fire over the, the bow of a boat, just warning everybody, he's a Christian. Not necessarily are you enemy, but you know, just be aware of that. You might, you want, might want to be careful because he's a Christian. And we see that, and I think this is kind of what's taking place in Antioch. They're being called out because of their relationship with Christ. But in that, there's something special that is happening. Something amazing has taken place where people's lives are being changed and, and the power of God is falling down upon the people. And I want to share this truth that you might want to write down. Let's remember that separation is not a bad thing when we are referring to sin and holiness. Amen. We don't want to be separate from people because we love people. But when they're, calling you, when they're calling you a Christian because you, they see holiness in you, don't run away from that. Embrace that. Because we're called to be separate from sin. The term Christian is only used three times in the Word of God. It's, we find it here in Acts chapter 11. We find it again in Acts chapter 26. And then we find it in 1 Peter chapter 4. In Acts 26, Herod Agrippa uses it when he's having a discussion with the Apostle Paul. And he actually uses it kind of in a... I can't say the way. Thank you very much. Not a nice way. I can't say it. There you go. Anyhow, mind block. They're not saying it in a good way. And, and, And Agrippa is saying, are you expecting me to become a Christian like you? Basically, that's how he's saying it. And then in, it's used in 1 Peter chapter 4. And I want you to listen to verse 16, 1 Peter 4. Listen to what Peter writes. But it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. You see, the term Christian was, meant as an, uh, it was not meant as an endearing term. It was a term that was to bring insult or persecution. And yet Peter states, don't be ashamed of the name of Christ. Don't be ashamed if you're called a Christian. You know what? Embrace that because it's who you are. It reminds me so much of what Paul's words were in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, where he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of the God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first, and also the Gentile. The Greek word for Christian is Christianos. It's a Greek Christianos. And it's the Greek root word of that is Christos, which means Christ. That's where we get Christ. That's where Christian comes from. When the Gentiles used this term to refer to those who were followers of the way, they used it in a negative way to identify people, catch this, to identify people who identified themselves with Christ. We're going to talk about identity today. We might say another way is to identify people who reflected the same values that Christ had. 
I believe this gives us some insight of what's taking place in the church of Antioch. People outside the church are recognizing them as Christians. There's something different about them and they're being called out. Do you see that? That person's a Christian. And what it tells me is that the Holy Spirit was moving through the church in such a way it was changing people's life. He was creating an environment where growth was taking place and people were starting to understand their identity in Christ. I believe it's a secret for real growth, not just in the church, but in your own life. One of the greatest things that could ever happen in your life is to be identified as a Christian. Don't be ashamed of that identification. Embrace it. Yes, I am a Christian. Yes, God loves me and God and I love God. Yes, that's me. I'm a Christian. Let me share three thoughts about discovering your identity in Christ. Now you just woke up the whole room. Thank you very much. First, we need to learn to embrace God's change. When you choose to follow Jesus, there's a process that we some people call conversion. And I don't want that word to scare you or make it something weird. It just means that your priorities are changing. Some things that you saw as extremely important just aren't that important anymore now that you know Christ. You're recognizing that God is changing your perspectives. You're seeing your decisions not just from an earthly viewpoint, but guess what? You're seeing your decisions from a heavenly viewpoint, from an eternal viewpoint. Maybe God has challenged you to be more careful with your words. Instead of tearing down people, the Holy Spirit is saying, you know what? You really need to start lifting people up. Maybe anger has been an issue in your life for many many years, and all of a sudden the Spirit of God is is sharing with you that I have this gift that I can give you. It's called self-control. Did you know that's a gift of the Spirit? You can have self-control. You don't have to fall into your anger. You can choose to live in self-control and into peace. Maybe you've been lethargic, just living without purpose, and all of a sudden now Christ has given you new meaning and new purpose in your life. Maybe you struggle with selfishness, and the Holy Spirit is now showing you a whole new world of generosity. It says you don't have to live selfish. You can be generous and change people's lives. Bottom line, we need to embrace the change that God is doing in our life. We don't run away from what God is trying to do in us. What we need to do is draw towards what God is doing, embrace that change, because guess what? That's that conversion process. That's that sanctification process where all of a sudden we're becoming more and more and more like Christ. Bottom line, we need to embrace what God is doing in our lives. Not just for ourselves. Catch this. Not just for ourselves. But for those around us, they see change. When people see change in you, it gives them hope that, guess what? I can change my life too. If Tom can change his life, I know Tom. He's an idiot. If Tom can change his life, man, God can do something great in my life. That transformation is what's seen by others. That's what's being seen in the church of Antioch. They're seeing transformation in people's lives. And all of a sudden, it's just spreading. Look at verse 23 again. It states that when Barnabas arrived in Antioch, and saw, and he used the word, in the New Living Translation, it says, and saw the evidence of God's blessing. He was filled with joy. Some of your translations might say uh, he saw the grace of God, which is probably a, more, a little bit more accurate because it's the word, the Greek word is charis, which literally means grace. 
And I don't believe this evidence that Barnabas was seeing. Because remember, the first ten chapters of Acts, we're going to just do a little, follow along with me. The first ten chapters of Acts, we've seen the miraculous taking place. People being raised from the dead. Blind eyes seen. Lame people walking. And people are seeing the miraculous of Christ. And man, they're jumping on board and saying, man, that has to be real. And all of a sudden they're starting to follow Christ. But in here we're not hearing in chapter 11, we're not seeing necessarily the supernatural miracles that we're seeing the physical. We're seeing the supernatural miracle that God is doing a new thing in people's hearts. He says the evidence, that, that word is grace. There's an evidence. And I, I believe the evidence that Barnabas has encountered was a supernatural grace of God. Referring to the good will of God. The loving kindness of God working through the lives of people. The evidence was that the nature of God was being displayed through people. That's the evidence. They are actually, Barnabas is actually seeing it with his own eyes. Something is different in this house. People's lives are being changed. And that was the first step I want to share with you. To discover your identity in Christ, you must be willing to embrace the change that God wants to do in your life. Another way, second way, we can find our identity in Christ is through sharing God's word. Notice at the end of verse 19, it states that the believers were preaching God's word. It wasn't just the apostles teaching the word. Every believer, every person was sharing God's word. And and remember what Jesus commanded us to do. Go into all the world and preach the good news, the gospel to all creation. I think many of us don't share God's word. Catch this. I I think many of us don't share God's word because we don't feel like we are qualified. We don't feel qualified to share God's word. I think we equate sharing God's word to the modern day preaching. But I believe a better translation of that word would be speaking God's word. Or they were talking about God's word. Or they were proclaiming God's word. Bottom line is this. You don't have to have a three-point series like Pastor Tom does. Three points, he has an opening, an introduction, then he has three points, he has scripture built around it, then he has a closing, he has a salvation call. And then he, you don't have to do all that to share God's word. Amen. So I want you to, don't complicate the gospel. Don't make it more difficult than it needs to be. The other night, Annette and I like to go walking together. How many of you guys go on walks? It's really good for you. You should try to do it sometime. Some of you looked at each other like, yeah, we've been talking about it. We just haven't done it yet. Well, try it. So we have a little square that we do. It's about three-mile walk, and we'll go walking uh, probably two, three, four times a week. And uh, uh, this night, I waited late because it was hot that day. It was like 10 o'clock at night, and Annette goes, no, I don't want to go for a walk. And yet I, I have this voice in my head. It wasn't the Holy Spirit. It was the doctor saying, you need to go exercise more. And I said, okay. So I decided to go for a walk about 10 o'clock at night, and and that stayed home and did some studying. And I'm, I get out of my neighborhood and, and I make a right on Moulton. And I'm starting to walk and there's a bus station down there. And I'm walking and all of a sudden this guy stops me and he says, hey, uh, uh, um, I, I, is there a bus coming by here? I said, I have no idea. And he, can, can you look on the bus schedule and see if there's any more buses coming by? And, and I, I said, I have, okay, I mean, I haven't ridden a bus for years. And so I'm looking on my... My, my phone app, and I'm trying to find the bus schedules, and I'm looking at it. I don't see anything past 10 o'clock at night. And I said, you know what? I don't think there's anything coming. And, and you go, okay, okay well, well, thanks. And so then I, I left, and I was, you know, I'm task mode, 
Anybody out there task mode? Okay. I have, the only thing I have in my mind right now is I got my 45-minute walk that I need to go around, you know, and do that walk. And so I start my walk. I go down the mold and I turn right and I head down La Paz. I'm walking down, doing my walk. And, and, and the whole time I'm walking, all I can think is about this guy. And the Holy Spirit's just, you need to go help him. You need to help him. If you, and you know how you play with God. And I actually didn't say play with God. You know how you, um, yeah, you guys know what I'm talking about. Okay, Lord, if I turn the corner when I come back around on, my, on Molten, if he's still there, then I know, you know. So funny. So I'm walking. And, uh, but the more I'm walking, the more the Holy Spirit's working in me. All of a sudden, it's not a drudgery anymore. I'm actually getting excited. I'm actually hoping he better be there. By the time I'm getting there, I turn right on Molten. I'm thinking, is he there? And I look down the street, and there's no one there. I thought, oh, my. Don't miss the opportunity God gives you. But I look across the street, and he's over on the other side of the cross street, still waiting for a bus. So then I walked up. I walked up to my house and walked into the house real quick and told Annette, I got I to gotta go do something. And I tell her what I'm doing. And I, I met this guy. I think he needs a ride. I just need to go give him a ride. So I jump in the car. I drive back down to Moulton. And uh, by that time, there's two other people trying to help this gentleman. And, and uh, so I rolled down my window. And I said, Do you, it looks like you still need a ride. I, I, I would love to give you a ride back to your, to your place. He goes, will you do that for me? I said, yeah, hop into the vehicle. I thought he said he had to go to Tustin. Which I thought, man, that's a little bit of a drive, but it wasn't that far, but it was a little ways. And so he jumped in the car, and then he begins to share with me that he's been drinking that night, which was obvious the whole time that he'd been drinking. <laughs> it wasn't anything new, any new, you know, revelation he was giving me. But he sat down in the car, and we're driving, and, and, uh, and some of you think, man, Pastor Tom, you shouldn't do that. You don't know. You know, if the Spirit of God is talking to you about it, I think we're okay. And um, so we're driving, and then he starts to share the why he was drinking. I didn't even ask him. You see, when the Holy Spirit aligns something in your life to do, you don't have to do a whole lot. He starts to share about why he was drinking. He said that he just lost his wife. His wife was killed two weeks ago. I said, oh, man, I'm so sorry. He said, I have two kids that are living with my mom in Tijuana. And he said, my, my, I'm just so depressed. I'm so discouraged. I just feel hopeless. And in that moment, God gave me a word. And I just looked at him. I said, can I share something with you? I was going for my walk when you interrupted my walk. But the whole time I'm walking, all I could think about was you. I said, God was speaking to me that I needed to come back and give you a ride. And I looked at him in the eyes and said, you know what? I want to tell you something. That's how much God loves you. He was speaking to me to help you. That's how much God loves you. And you could see, even though he was drunk, you could see he was hitting his, it was, uh, he was computing what I was saying. And he, he lifted up, he had a cross on his chest, that, a necklace around him. And he said, thank you so much. And I drove him up to his apartment. And we stopped. He said, can I pray with you? He said, yes, please pray with me. And so I just prayed the spirit of peace upon his life. And that God would give him favor. And that God would work all these things that look like, you know, they're so horrific in his life right now. That somehow God would turn those things around for good. And I just prayed with him and he thanked me. He said, you go to church? I said, oh yeah, I do. 
can I have your phone number? I said, yeah, absolutely. I get, pull out a touch card. I wrote my, the church number down. I said, hey, give me a call and we can talk. And, and I share all that for one purpose. I just shared one of the most powerful principles of the word of God. And that was the love of God. It wasn't difficult. I didn't have three points. I didn't have an introduction. I didn't have a closing. All I had to do was just share, you know what? God was speaking to me to help you. That's how much God loves you. And it just reminds me that we don't need to complicate the gospel. The gospel is simple. The gospel is about the love of God. You don't have to be scared about God's word. You don't need to be a theologian to share about the love of God. The Pharisees were the theologians of Jesus' day, and they had no understanding about the love of God. They had all the head knowledge in the world, but they had no heart change. And that's what I keep on sharing week in and week out. If the word of God is not changing your heart, then why are you here? Boy, Pastor Tom, we're not going to have anybody here next week at church. Yes, we will. Because I believe people want heart change. I believe people want something more from God's word than just head knowledge. They want change. And that's what we're here about, is to receive change. When we read God's word, it's for a purpose. In fact, in the book of James, chapter 1, verse 22, it says, But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. When we read or hear God's word, it needs to be for purpose. The purpose is that God's word will change our lives and the lives. See, God's word will not only change your life, but God's word will change all the lives that are around you. When you start to embrace God's word, when you start to dig into God's word, all of a sudden you think it's infecting you. It is. It's infecting infecting you. It's worse than COVID, okay? God's word will infect you. And then it will spread outside of your boundaries. And you, you can put whatever mask you want on God's word. It's just not going to stop. Because the gates of hell will not prevail against the word of God. It will not be stopped. And when we embrace God's word, when we start breathing God's word, when we start reading God's word, when it all of a sudden becomes revelation inside of us, where it's not just words, but it's actions behind us. Oh, I think God gave me that night for a purpose for Pastor Tom so that I could share, not for just that man, but I could share it for Sunday morning that when we listen to God's word and obey, God can do the miraculous. He can start touching people's lives. Ooh, I'm starting to get excited all of a sudden. The truth is, the more we share God's word, catch this, the more that God's word starts to grow in us. There's something about sharing God's word that starts to grow in us. This week when I was sharing God's love to this man who had just lost his wife, I started realizing that when I was sharing God's word, It was reminding me of my identity of who I am in Christ. It was reminding me of my purpose, that I was created for a purpose, and that was to glorify him and to honor God in all that I do. Even in the difficult tasks, let's honor God. The last thought I want to share with you about understanding our identity in Christ is found in the last part of verse 23. When it states that Barnabas encouraged the believers to stay true to God. 
He encouraged the believers to say, maybe your translation says, stays faithful to God. Stay, remain true to God. Stay true. And what does that mean to remain true to God? Well, it carries the meaning, just the basic meaning. It carries the meaning that to be resolute in our purpose, unwavering in our beliefs for God, that our greatest calling is our faithfulness to God. But see, Barnabas was seen on that day when he entered into Antioch. And we started meeting the other believers in Antioch. He saw something different. He saw a beautiful display of God's power working through the people. Things were taking place. And he, he tells the people of Antioch, he doesn't want them to lose that beauty. He says, remain true. How do you know that, Pastor Tom? I'm just reading God's word. It's what's coming into my heart. I believe he's seen a powerful presence of Christ working through people. And the thing that kind of popped out to me, I've never seen this before. First time ever. I was doing a little bit of a word study. And I looked up that word, that Greek word, remain true. I know we've been talking about a lot of Greek words today, but this one's important. I looked at that word, remain true, and the Greek word is prothesis. And the literal meaning of that word is a setting forth in advance for a specific purpose. A setting forth in advance for a specific purpose. In fact, it's the same Greek word that Jesus used in Matthew chapter 12, verse 4, to describe the bread of the presence or the show bread. And I had really never taken much study on what's called the bread of the presence or um, the sanctified bread, it might be seen, it might be said. And I couldn't, I, it was coming through my mind. I said, that, I said, man, I just saw this or I heard this or what, you know. And all of a sudden it hit me. I was, I've been watching the series The Chosen. I love it. If you haven't seen it, I encourage you to do it. You can download it or I think it's on YouTube now. But there's an episode on the showbread. And I thought, so I went back and watched that just for fun because I thought, wow, oh, this is cool. But the showbread was 12 loaves of bread that were made. Um, and they would be put in two stacks of six. And they would be on a table that was, that was overlaid in pure gold. And it would be inside the, the temple. And the showbread, it rep, each piece of bread represented uh, the, the 12 tribes of Israel. But the, the bigger picture of the showbread was it represented the presence of God in the lives, work, in, working in the lives of the people. And so every week on Friday, they'd, match, they'd make a new batch of showbread. They would take the old showbread off and they'd put this new 12, 12 stacks of showbread on this table representing, and I, I, probably part of it was the manna. I, I'm assuming that manna that God gave the children of Israel as well, maybe. The showbread. Why did, why did Luke, or why did Barnabas use that word, the showbread? Because it's the same word, remain true. It's the same word. Why did he use that word to describe the people in Antioch? Why do you say remain true? It's the bread that David ate in 1 Samuel 21 
when he was running away from King Saul and the King Saul was trying to kill David and his men and they were hungry and they came up to uh, the, the, the tabernacle and all of a sudden the priest says, hey, you know what? Here you go. And, they, and he gives him some of this showbread to eat. It wasn't allowed for David to eat the showbread, nor was his men. The showbread was only for the priests. But the priest saw the need and gave David the showbread. The disciples are walking through a field in Matthew, you can read, I think it's Matthew chapter 12, and they're walking through this field, and they're hungry. And all of a sudden, they start taking the kernels of the grain off, of the, off the stalks, and they start to eat this on the Sabbath. They were working on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees saw this, and they looked at Jesus and his disciples, and he said, do you have no respect for the Sabbath? And they start accusing him, and Jesus refers to this word showbread, he actually refers to the same story. Do you not know the story about David when all of a sudden he starts to share this with the Pharisees? Because the Pharisees were accusing them of breaking the law. And Jesus tells, says this famous line, he says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man made for the Sabbath. Meaning the Sabbath is to help us, to give us a day. It was never that we were supposed to serve the Sabbath. It became a work day for the Pharisees because they had to follow all these and this is where Jesus declares these famous words that just turned the world of the Pharisees upside down. He said, for the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. The Old Testament showbread was a reminder of God's presence and covenant with his people. And it's also a beautiful portrayal for us today because Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the bread that comes down from heaven that will sustain you each and every day. And all of a sudden, it just went, woo I get it. I understand where all of a sudden, why Barnabas says, remain true. Keep that showbread in your life. Because see, you got to understand something here. In 1 Corinthians 3.16, Apostle Paul writes, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God dwells in you? I started thinking about that gold table with the showbread that supposed to represents the presence of God. And then I started thinking about, you know what? The temple of God is me. Because now the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God, rests in me. Woo! It hit me. Then it hit me as a Christian, our lives represent Jesus, which begs the question, is your life displaying the showbread of the gospel? Jesus. Is it displaying it in your life? When Barnabas arrived in Antioch, he saw the presence of Christ working in the lives of people. He said, don't lose it. Remain true. Stay true. Don't let anything take away the showbread of your life. Don't let anything take away the good news, the gospel, the love, the presence of God in your life. Regard that with everything you are. If you're called to be separate, be separate. Because we are, we are all called to be separate from sin. And we are called to be in holiness. Our holiness is not our own actions. Our holiness is in Christ. So we got to remain true in Christ. When we remain true in Christ, He remains in us. Guess what? It's a beautiful relationship. And that's my challenge to us today. Very simple. Because I think this is what was taking place in the church of Antioch. They discovered their identity in Christ. They discovered there was something way more than they could ever have imagined. And they embraced it. They didn't shy away from it. They didn't. 
I think Brett shared about it. You know, the love of earlier on, he said about the love of God. You know what? It's been there the whole time. Embrace the love of God. Embrace it. Don't shy away from it. When you find that your identity is in Christ, it opens up a whole nother level in your life. And all of a sudden, guess what? Barnabas walks into our church. Man, something's happening in the people here. God is doing a special thing. They're bringing meals to one another. They're loving on one another. They're giving rides to people. They're praying for one another. They're genuinely concerned about the loving kindness and displaying that to each person. That's when something special takes place. When we truly understand our identity in Christ. Lord, I thank you for your word today. I thank you that your word is powerful. It is life-changing. It changes us, our perspectives. It changes us from an earthly perspective. And God, you give us a heavenly perspective. Today I pray, Lord, that your word will not return void, but God, it will be powerful and it will be effective in the lives of each and every one of us. I pray, God, your word will change us. And I pray, God, for every person here today that maybe has been struggling in just purpose, direction, I pray, God, that they would find, truly find their identity in you. And every part of their, every part of their day can be identified. Lord God, what mission do you have for me today? What purpose have you laid out for me today? What goal can I do? In their workplace, at their school, wherever it might be, we're seeing things from a different perspective. Not from a selfish perspective, but God, we're seeing it from a perspective that you see with loving kindness and goodness and grace and mercy and love. Pour that upon us, Lord God, as a people. I pray, Lord God, that we will be, Lord God, that person that honors you in such a way that you are the showbread of our life. You are Christ, the presence of our life. We thank you for what you're doing in and through our lives today. And God, we give you praise and we love you. Heads bowed, eyes closed for just a minute. I feel so compelled each week to share the way to salvation, the way to follow Christ because we've complicated it in the church and it's not that complicated if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior if you're watching us online and you say man Pastor Tom I need a relationship with God I need to find my identity your identity is found in Jesus Christ I tell you that over your identity is found in Jesus Christ no one else and if you need that in your heart and life today it's so simple and we're going to say a prayer and I want everybody to say that prayer today I'm not going to even ask for your hands to be raised I just want you to raise your heart to the Lord right now, wherever you might be. But say this prayer, and I want you to truly mean it. If you want to take that step of faith to follow after Jesus, say this simple prayer with me today. Everybody say it. Lord Jesus, I choose to follow you. Separate me from sin. Forgive me of my sins. Give me the power of your Holy Spirit. And help me do what is right. I embrace your love today. I thank you, Jesus. Amen. You say that prayer, 
and you mean it in your heart. That's what it says in the Bible. That's all we have to do is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you are saved. We complicate things. All you have to do when we say believe, I don't, oh, I believe, yeah, that believe, God, maybe, no, no, you believe in Jesus. And if you, when you believe in Jesus, truly believe that he is your Lord and Savior, guess what? He will lead you because he loves you and he will guide you and he will direct you in every area of your life. Thanks for listening to the South Coast Christian Podcast. We appreciate those who give on a regular basis to South Coast because through your giving, we are able to provide these resources. For more information about South Coast, including service times and ways to give, please visit southcoastchristian.com. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast. Thanks again, and may this week be filled with new opportunities where you can receive and share God's love.